Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 303. And this is the last respectable episode of the Distraction Pieces podcast for 2019. Um, for next week sees the return of the drunk cast. If, if it's releasable, you know we've recorded one drunk cast in the past that we then couldn't release. So we might have nothing for the rest of the year. But at the moment... The plan is to record this Sunday, the 15th. Um, I'm sure I'll do a post to get you guys to post some questions for us while we get hammered. Um, but this is the last proper guest of the year, and it couldn't be a better one. It's a chat I had a month or two ago with Yoni Wolf of Y and of Cloud Dead and loads of other music that I've been a huge fan of for years. And I loved this conversation. It's one that I am the nerd over because it was on a week that I had so much on. And it was a real tough one to fit it in. But I forced myself because I'm like, I'd, I've been a fan of this guy for years. And as, as soon as, as we sat down, like we discussed it afterwards, it seems mad that we've never sat down and chatted before. So I was so glad that I, I pushed through the exhaustion and schedule issues and, uh, and made it happen. Because you're going to hear it's a really good chat. Before we get into it, I'm gonna again. I'm gonna keep the intro brief. Obviously, actually, before anything else, there before I plug stuff, thank you all so much for 2019, man. This year we took total lessons to over 16 million. We broke the 300 episode uh, mark. It's mad, and we've had just amazing reactions to some amazing guests. PC Leon McLeod this year and the Stammer special have been real emotional ones for me and real standouts. Obviously, every guest I've been so happy with this year because otherwise I don't release them or I don't have them on. But yeah, it's meant the world, so thank you so much. And thank you so much for supporting the Pod Bible, the magazine I'm part of and the podcast I'm part of. Um, Pod Bible has had the most insanely successful first year of anything I've ever ever been involved in. So it's mad. If you've missed that, the the podcast they're 20 minute episodes out every monday you can go and listen to them the back catalogue of them you can smash through everything that we've done so far in a couple of hours the reaction's been amazing and the magazine as well the reaction to the magazine the the, the most recent one has an interview with Ramesh Ranganathan an amazing picture of him on the front cover by Dan Draws so yeah um thank you so much for all of that one of the things i hadn't announced because you a lot of you have been long time listeners will know that I've had some nightmares over the years with vinyl on my label but I was delighted a, a few days ago to release the first ever vinyl pressing of my debut album no commercial breaks and that's really exciting and it's on on transparent orange vinyl um it's been flying out so by the time this comes out it might have sold out but i'm hoping everyone who wants one for christmas or has a loved one that wants one for christmas because it's as i said it's something that i've never released before i had uh, the original run was on cd and i made a thousand and it didn't have a proper barcode um so now i've done a run on vinyl i might do more i'm not saying that this is a one-off run um but vinyl is really expensive and takes ages to make so if we sell out it won't be around again for a while but um that's out now no commercial breaks on vinyl for the first time that originally came out in 2006 so uh pretty much 14 years on we're uh we're dropping that 
that that that vinyl for the first time. So head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com is what I'm saying there. It's where we've got hoodies, beanies, gloves, umbrellas, all sorts of shit. Um, signed photos. What? That's weird, isn't it? Um, but me and my mate Tom, who's done a lot of photography with me for years, we did a 10 years apart photo shoot. So we recreated two photo shoots that we did 10 years ago. And then we put them together and signed them. Um, so they're available. All sorts of stuff. Basically, if you're a fan and want to get yourself something for Christmas or you've got a loved one who's a fan, my Times Best Selling Distraction Pieces book is available still, I think. I don't think we've sold out of that. We, we, we've sold out of Poetry and Emotion and, and we won't be doing any more of that book. That's the whole run gone. There's ideas over there for Christmas presents, is what I'm telling you. Speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Fill them boots slash stockings. Um, Patreon.com slash Pip. It's there if you're interested in that kind of thing. I launched it last year with the Drunk Cast Hangover. So if I get time, basically at the moment, the, the day after we're recording the Drunk Cast, I'm recording another podcast. And then the day after that, I'm on set with a tv show that i'm doing and then the day after that i'm recording two more podcasts so i don't know if i'll get time to do to have a hangover essentially but if i do i'll record a drunk cast hangover and i'll put that out after the drunk cast has gone up i guess um, but yeah that's all patreon.com slash it's only a dollar it's no big deal don't get involved if you don't want to if you do it's there you know there's there's a year's worth of bonus podcasts and bonus spoken word pieces and stuff like that but i ain't crazy active on there you know that's why it's only a dollar because <laughs> because I, I i'm not like i'm like oh, here's n- new things every week fuck that um it's there though anyway me and you only talk about his new music touring artistic choices everything it's one of my favorite chats I love the, there's a a political section towards the end that questions when artists should be political, when it's viable to be political, if it's mentally possible to be political in this day and age with the the barrage of social media. But um, yeah, it's a wicked chat. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'll be back next week with the drunk cast. Uh, So yeah, for now, I'll be back at the end, in fact. To, to say goodbye in that but for now enjoy episode 303 of the distraction pieces podcast with yoni wolf this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction Drifting between the worlds of rap and spoken word. Yeah. All the rappers I knew would cover the mics completely. Cup the mics. Cup the mics, yeah. which can be bad. But all the spoken word artists I knew would like, hold it at their chest, which is equally bad. And it was yeah. always... Yeah. I genuinely felt the reason at festivals and stuff like that, the sound guys, everyone liked us, was I would control it appropriately. I would yeah. keep it really close to my mouth. I wouldn't cover it. So it's that, that, that advantage of, of having that experience to booming voice rare trait in the hip-hop spoken word world it really is so i'm joined today by yoni wolf how you doing man i'm doing all right man i'm doing all right how are you i'm good i'm good um there's loads i want to uh, talk to you about obviously you're on tour at the moment um as we record this this will be coming out because you've only got a week left on the tour right yeah this is coming out after the tour but i kind of want to go all over the place because 
when the first Cloud Dead record came out in 2001, genuinely, I swear it was like a week or two after it came out in this country, I was getting a coach to try and live in Amsterdam. And the coach was like a 12-hour coach journey. And I, I bought that album and I listened to it literally for the whole 12, 12 hours on my CD Discman. Just, and it was the perfect music for that. Obviously, I was going there for kind of angsty reasons to go and experience life, but also to go and try a lot of drugs and try a lot of different styles of culture. And it felt like the perfect album for that. So, And, and you're like 18, 19 at yeah, the time? Yeah. 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 Or 19, 20 maybe. Yeah, yeah, a little bit older. But yeah, it was perfect. How was that time for you guys? Because that did seem to kind of come out of nowhere and it, it wasn't like anything else I'd ever heard. It was a very uh, adventurous time. I was uh, the same age as you, similar age yeah. to you, and kind of uh, just exploring music and seeing what it could be and and sort of stretching the idea of what, what hip-hop was, you know, uh, yeah. in, our, in our minds and, you know, how can we be ourselves but also make, this music that we're influenced by and and uh marry all the different kinds of music we're interested in and yeah how was that that the roots were in hip-hop because I, I i adore hip-hop but it can be one of the most closed off genres and I especially remember, at that time yeah i remember at that time kind of raving about are you guys to certain friends that'd be all over it. other friends would be like it's not hip hop. It's not right. rap. These aren't rap kids. These are these are art school kids, or these kids, or that kids, and trying to exclude it from the this weird pure version of hip hop that they had in their heads. So, right. how was that to, to battle? Well, I, you know, at that time, it it was very fundamentalist. You yeah. know, hip hop at large was, and we were definitely not, you know, accepted in in that world. I feel like, yeah, and yet. Since then, I've had so many kids, ironically, weirdly, tell me I got into hip hop because of your music. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, kids yeah, that yeah. never would have listened to more boom bap stuff, like, yeah. ended up falling into Cloud Dead, and and then then were like, oh well, maybe I could listen to more traditional rap. But yeah, that it, we definitely were outside of that, and we were art school kids, yeah. but we were also hip hop kids, you know, like. We were all that stuff. So, so those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Exactly, it's kind of it's music. It can get anywhere. That's exactly that's the beauty of it. It, it. Is an odd genre for it though. I mean, I try not to to do it myself now because you see people who are into old school hip hop or even that era of, of two thousand and one, two thousand and two. You guys, your your Buck sixty five, your Sage France, all of these. You'll see a lot of fans of that hating on mumble rap or whatever else. And for me, it's like. Number one, you don't have to listen to it. But number two, it's good that any rap is getting airplay and getting and getting listens and getting out there. It feels to me it's it's weird to turn on your own genre as such. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like now it's become, you know, it's gone from being this this sort of you know, almost all hip hop felt sort of underground back in the day. Somehow, yeah. you know, there were like certain things that would poke out and become mainstream. But you know, I definitely felt like everything I listened to back then felt underground now you know it's the dominant culture yeah you know it really is uh hip-hop is is the sort of main pop music now um oh i mean i think you nailed it with the the, the dominant culture because outside of music even hip-hop even is music. the biggest influence on f- fashion on everything it seems it absolutely literally the dominant culture is what it is there's so much from 
um, the development of language from terms and phraseology and all this kind of thing. It's all there's so much that's come from this underground, hidden away world. Absolutely. I mean, look at yeah, look at like internet slang or yeah. you know, like all that. St- lots of that stuff comes from hip hop. Yeah, yeah. No, it 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 has it has gone that route and. and so now I feel like, you know, if we were to do the cloud dead thing, you know, that we did in, you know, 2000, 2001, now I feel like it would be more accepted as like, okay, this is just part of the wide swath of what hip hop yeah. is. But I felt like back then it, it was it was a lot more closed off. Do you think that's why you guys kind of started Anticon to give a home to the homeless as such? Because you said you didn't feel like you were embraced by that scene and Anticon with people like Buck and, and, and Sage Francis early on, Beans, Serengeti going forward. There's so many artists that don't necessarily all fit on a, a record together, or can, but it, I mean, there's differences, but the common difference is you're not the other. You're not that version of hip-hop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Was that what kind of made that? I mean, as far as I know, like, I, I wasn't, like, involved in all, like, the, the sort of uh, inner decision-making in terms yeah, yeah, of, like, yeah. the big big boy shit in the beginning i, I was sitting <laughs> yeah. at the children's table yeah you know making the music that they were that they were wheel, wheeling and dealing but but uh as far as like the the management stuff that wasn't me but as far as i understand it we decided to do that because we weren't able to get record deals elsewhere you know like yeah. i think these guys were trying to get record deals. this is i'm talking like soul and dose you know yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. those guys like had tried to get record deals with with majors and indies and stuff and we're just laughed out of the offices and they were like all right fuck it let's make our own let's make our own label and that's kind of how it started yeah so so how was that in those early days because the label started but as you say there was it was like seven of you i think originally were were seen as the label people the the originators and as you said there you weren't really on the management part of it how was that how was the mix of all of that to be here's all of us are the label but these are the artists and these are the, the, the behind-the-scenes guys and so on and so forth. Yeah, it was kind of... I mean, I feel like it was like soul and dose in the beginning that were just kind of like, all right, we've got to do this. And then they just were kind of pushing on, on on things and, you know, let's find a distributor. Let's find, a, you know, all yeah. the different things that you need to be a label. Uh, and they sort of did that stuff. But, you know, under the guise of like, oh, by the way, distributor, you know, we've got maybe, you know, 12 other artists that we're working with and different, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, then we decided at some point, like, all right, let's make it like a business. That's when, like, it was like, all right, seven of us are on the board of the – or eight of us or whatever yeah. it was on the board of the business and blah, blah, and yeah. How how long did that stay enjoyable and fun and how quickly did Because yeah. as soon as it becomes the business side of things, that's when shit starts to get a bit weird. And- shit got weird. Shit was weird from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like – it, there there were always internal weirdnesses and sort of disagreements and disparities between or or, or just 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 different ideas of what the thing should be yeah, basically yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but it seemed to work and it seemed to build like it felt like anticon almost became a genre rather than than just a label yeah. it felt like it was this own oh that's anticon kind of of music i remember when on my second single we got a remix by gel and I was buzzing because because of the Anticon connection. Because just before I'd started, that was the stuff that I was going, "Oh wow, this isn't like anything I've heard before." And yeah, it kind of it felt like at that time it became a, a genre more than a, a label. I, I think that 
was really cool. I think we liked that, but that wasn't really the intended outcome. You know what I mean? Like, like we, we had different ideas. Like some, some people in the, in the sort of like in the seven, eight or whatever had this idea of it being like this Wu Tang thing where it's like, okay, I remember there was always talk back then, like we need to make a posse record. We need to pick a, make a posse record, you know? And it never really happened. There were a couple records that were like, uh, compilations you know yeah, yeah but that's yeah. different you know but yeah. like there was all this talk and we made a few like posse cuts or whatever back in the day but by and large you know i was on the other side where it's like i just like i just want to make my you know i'm an auteur i just want to make my music you know yeah. and um you know but i would do i would do a song here and there with with the the gang and everything but yeah i definitely definitely the outside especially over here in England and in Europe, yeah. I feel like there was this feeling that like it it was almost like you said a genre or like yeah. you know its own like division of hip hop or something. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, just speaking of kind of the idea of, and again, it's a natural thing. Whenever there's a collective, people want everyone together. And I always remember the excitement at the Deep Puddle Dynamics stuff coming out and it being kind of collaborative. And it comes to mind because one of the things I wanted to talk about, even if it's briefly, is is Alias. Yeah, dude, uh, I only met him once or twice, but I work a lot. I'm, I'm very cl- close with B. Dolan, who worked, who was, was very close with Alias. And we lost him a little while back. Um, but yeah, how important was he as a kind of behind-the-scenes guy for making the sound of so much of the people that are at the front, if you know what I mean? You think of these these rappers that have or even a kind of anti-con sound. A lot of that behind-the-scenes was... Alias and 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 Joe and people like that. Absolutely, I I would say like the Anacon sound, you know, of that all that that early era was was Alias, Gel, No Stom, yeah, you know DJ Mayonnaise, yeah. These are the guys, and 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 especially Alias. Like I feel like he was like a workhorse, yeah. Uh, all all through the, you know, up up through like the first decade of the of the two thousands, um just churning out stuff for yeah. for a lot of different people you know making making beats for not just the people you know like soul and people sort of within the collective but but externally too yeah if you consider sage and be Dolan ex i mean you know they they weren't owners but but certainly we we fucked with those guys yeah yeah um yeah so no i mean it was a, it's a huge loss it's yeah. a huge loss and uh he just always felt like to me to be the sort of stable uh logical like th- there was a lot of insanity going on within the collective yeah. and he was not that at all he was like all right i'm a dude that works hard i'm you know i know what i like i make what i like yeah i, I fuck with who i like to fuck with like yeah that was him and he and, felt like yeah. that foundation of a guy in that way and yeah. and again in a as you kind of said about when things were blowing up and you're like, I'm just an artist, I just want to make my music. He was that dude. He was very much, yeah. particularly when Dibs comes to mind as someone who could then tour and be a producer, but his own, as a DJ and his whole live thing, it felt like Alias, if he'd wanted, could have said, I want to be on the road, I want to do this, I want to do that. It's like, I just want to make this music. I want to make he, these beats. He did that for like a little while yeah. and, he, and he hated it. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like... I never really talked to him that much about it until I, I, I also have a podcast. I interviewed him on my podcast, like, yeah. I want to say it was like 2016 or 2015 or something like yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty clear about that. He hated touring. I love it. I, 
I released a, a blues artist on my record label called Giacomo Brown. And one of the things I loved about his story was he played live twice mm-hmm. and didn't see the appeal. He, he yeah. literally, he, he tried it once, was like, oh, I don't like this. He tried it again ju- just to make sure. I was like, nah, I don't see the appeal. I just want to make this music. I ain't, Look, ain't about that. I've Has been, it been a world where it's so built to we want to be rock stars and yeah. touring musicians? I've, I've been doing it for, for like 18 years and uh, I agree with Giacomo 100%. <laughs> but I don't know how to... I'm stuck. Yeah. I have no idea how to, how to move forward without, without the touring. But I'm working on it. It's the traditional route in the business, isn't it, I guess? that It is. And again, it's flipped over the years where you used to... I swear, my outlook on the music industry is you used to tour to promote a record... And then the money came out of records and people started releasing a record to promote a tour. And now we're in this kind of middle ground where it's like, well, we're just touring. 100%. (laughs) There isn't always a record involved. It's just, this is just the job now. 100%. Or actually, even I'll go beyond that and say people are making records so that they can tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, You know, which is crazy but yeah that that's i need a reason to get people out for this latest tour exactly so that's that's record. that's the difference between the beginning of my career and where i'm at now yeah, yeah. which we could call quote unquote the end of my career <laughs> um <laughs> is that yeah in the beginning it was definitely like yeah you, you like the record is the important thing like yeah. you're writing need to music get this out there need to get this out there i'm making an important statement and then i'll i'll, I'll do some touring to support the ideas that I've made. Now it's like, I need to have some way to sell tickets <laughs> to yeah. a show. I mean, say what you will. What Maybe I can't make a judgment on whether one's worse or better than the other, yeah. but it is it's, what it is. It's a weird world as well, because I think your stuff with, as or as why, with why, it was always confusing, because is why sure. the person or the band, but then it became the band's. But um, your stuff as why, it's kind of it. It's felt like you've played that long game and built up a loyal audience who really give a shit and are really big fans. But people don't realise that can at times be tough as a touring artist because it means you're not having that. Here's our moment this year. Here's the reason people will just be. Oh, I'll catch them if I can. Right. But not necessarily. I need to catch every show. If That's you know what I mean. So it's quite a weird one. You build that that loyal audience, which is the dream. That's, that's what you want rather than this flash in the pan moment, but it also means it's hard to make that spark and that excitement. We're still waiting for our moment. Yeah. We're still waiting <laughs> for crazy. our moment, dude. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and and I do feel very blessed. You know, I'm very grateful that we do have this hyper-loyal audience. But like you said, yeah, they're loyal and like, you know, we've you know impacted their lives and i you know i get messages all the time yeah. gosh you know your music got me through this time in my life or that time in my life um and 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 that's incredible and 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 just to have been able to have you know to touch people's lives like that and to whatever impact the world on that small scale is really cool but yeah you're right like when we go out it's always a guessing game are people going to come to yeah. the shows or not and like you know we had our biggest tour ever in terms of turnouts like eight months ago to eight, nine months ago or something like that um, when we we did like a, a reissue tour on a 10 year old album yeah that like you know had like gotten very popular over yeah. the last 10 years you know and so everybody came out to see that which was awesome 
and then you know now we're on a, another new record which is like it, it the record's actually selling really well as far as how, how records sell now you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. but um you know the shows are pretty small because people are like oh yeah i went and saw that last year you know yeah. what i mean and they they sort of got got the the why bug out eight months ago yeah. and then they're not going to come back right away so you and, know you got to give them some time of a nostalgia injection as well the That's nostalgia it's, it's a it's a mad it's a mad drug i've been thinking about it a lot recently because films tv music so so much seems to rely on nostalgia now and again from the art artist point of view that, that can be annoying from the human point of view I can understand it because it's a beautiful and warm and nice yeah. thing. It's that it's that album that you've known for ten years rather exactly. than for ten weeks. Yeah, and, and, and it was, that's, there's something in that. Also, there's something about the, the the thing that you discovered when you were sixteen, seventeen years old, 100%. like that. Like you always will have this feeling about, and that that's that record for those people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's it's an interesting one because a lot of people in music in particular, particularly if you're slightly left field or bang on and on about being underrated. And I always find that a really disrespectful term because as an example, I've got certain mates who you being on this podcast is the most excited they've been for any, (laughs) any podcast because, because underrated kind of discredits those who have that connection, as you said, who have those songs that mean the world, who send you those messages that say this literally changed my life or are coming to the show's, and paying so much attention and understanding every little improvisation and little change that you and the band might know, but most of the crowd aren't going to kind of realise, but the stuff that you're buzzing off, they're buzzing off. And that means the world. Again, it's tough because it might not mean the world financially (laughs) because it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting these stadium tours, but it means... It means the world to a very small amount of people, you know, but but I don't look past that. You know what I mean? That's a really awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, So what was your route... Into, into music and into hip-hop. Um, I, was, I was reading about you born into a, a, a Masonic, a Jewish family and finding your dad's four-track. Yeah. What was, how did that all come about? What was the, the process? Yeah, I guess that's a story that's probably, I don't know, yeah, it's probably in my bio or something. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, like, uh, yeah, when I was, like, 13, I remember being at my dad's synagogue uh, he's a preacher, Messianic rabbi, which is like Messianic Judaism is a, a, a unique cross between uh, pretty traditional Judaism and evangelical Christianity, you know, yeah. so speaking in tongues and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's how I grew up. Ended up there one afternoon. I don't know. I think I probably got off school and then went over there. And yeah, was just like digging through this closet and there was a four track my dad showed me how to use it and I, it just it just was like a real you know the 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 light sort of clicked on just the idea of layering you know yeah. the, of recording and kind of layering one sound and then another sound and it was like whoa then you can listen to them together just really was was cool to me um and then i didn't really mess with that again all throughout high school but i you know i was listening to a lot of hip hop in high school and sort of started rapping alone in my bedroom you know yeah uh know it well <laughs> yeah yeah and then um after high school the summer after high school uh i i was in this program like this like city funded program called artworks where uh i i joined the, the performance 
tent of this of this uh, organization, and our task was to go around to like community centers and old folks' homes and stuff like that and perform for uh, the people there. And during my audition for this thing, um, you know, they, they asked, okay, well, can you play any instruments? And I said, well, I play drums. So they gave me like a bongo and said, okay, play a beat on here or whatever. And I, I did that. And they were like, okay, you, have, you, have, you got good rhythm. Good, good, good. Do you, do you do anything else? And I said, well, I, I rap. You what? I rap. I rap. I rap. I'm a rapper. You know, but like I had never done it in public. So they had yeah. me do that in the audition. And they're like, okay, all right. And then, so that's the role they gave me in this performance thing. It was oh, wow. me and and this girl Walia, and we were. I was like this little tiny white guy, Jewish guy, and she was like six foot five black girl, and we were the duo. We were the rap duo. Amazing uh, of of the group of the group. So we would go, and the rest of the team would all be playing uh, hand drums and sort of traditional African percussion instruments that we had made throughout our tenure in the in the program and and her and i wrote our raps about unity and uh you know all things positive and uh peace world peace and stuff so we did that that summer and then uh i went to a festival that i had been going to for the three or four years prior as a graffiti artist which i was already a graffiti artist in high school uh, called scribble jam to, to get the DVDs <laughs> imported in, I love Scribble Jam. Yeah, so that was in Cincinnati. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah, took yeah. place in Cincinnati, where I grew up. And uh, we started going, me and my friends, because we were like the toy graffiti artists, and like the main crew, mm-hmm. TSC, had this thing called Scribble Jam, uh, and they owned Scribble Magazine, which was a graffiti magazine. Yeah. So I went to Scribble Jam '97. And that is where I first saw Dos One. Yeah. Okay. And he was in the rap battles, and as was Eminem. I was going to yeah. say, I remember on one of the later DVDs, they'd converted a load of the tapes, and it blew my mind because Dos One, who I'd, I'd fallen in love with from the Cloud Dead stuff, was in there against Eminem, who at that point was the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, these felt like two different worlds. And it's like, totally. Man, but you know what? It's mad that this was together at any point. What's crazy is that they were in the same world at that time. Yeah. They were both underground, yeah. you know, rugged, like camo pants wearing, yeah. you know, Timbaland boots wearing guys that were influenced by, I don't know, I, whatever. I'm not going to say who they were. Yeah. But like, they were coming from the same world, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and they, they just sort of, that was like the one point where they met and then they split off. A fork in the road that couldn't, <laughs> yeah. couldn't make them more different, but at right. that moment. But, but, but at that time, seeing Dose at that Scribble Jam thing, he could have gone the Eminem route. Yeah. Instead, he met me and had, had a lukewarm career in music. <laughs> uh, no, but, but, but I don't think he regrets anything. He, you no, know, because he, cool. you know, he, he, Went for it and was his and is always his truest self. Yeah, and uh, you know you can never regret that. First guy I ever saw a, a, a rap festival absolutely smash his solo set with a huge pink scarf on. Yes, I was like, well, there you go. This is this is the guy I want to get behind. This yes. is well, everyone else is in hoodies and kind of big jackets and bobbing sl- slightly. He was yep. there, big pink scarf, 
doing NPC stuff and then rapping and then, and then looping and DJing and all Yeah, I felt like he quickly, you know, once he was like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing and like fuck all this bravado stuff, he quickly like took the bravado to that whole other direction. Yeah. It was like, fuck you, I'm wearing a pink scarf. Like, fuck <laughs> all this bravado stuff. Yeah. This bravado stuff <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing to the next level. The pink <laughs> scarf bravado. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it, it sounds interesting to hear of your kind of upbringing there because particularly the the the, the Masonic Judaism had kind of a rhythmic nature in some of the preaching, had chanting, had... Had, and it, you kind of hear that in those early records, the layering of vocals, the repetition, the chanting. Do you think that influenced it all, kind of alert, taking your musical cues as much from the synagogue as from the mixtape that's, 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 that's come out that week? I would say that definitely um, sort of that, that cantor shit yeah. influenced my rap style like a lot. Yeah. yeah, that that that's why I you know from the get go pretty much I had melody melodies in my raps and you know you know like all, you know, and that was so rare at that point really at that point yeah. it felt like everyone was just you're trying to spit as hard as you can right as, right urgh, urgh, let's go whereas this was it's what blew me away with Cloud that was all of you guys kind of just going up and down all over the place. And it was, it was even if you took the music off, it had a musicality and it had a, a, a melody, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it felt like a natural way to go for us. And yeah. How, how was it moving into rap from that family background? How was it embraced? How was it looked upon by your family? You know, I, both my parents are artists in one way or another. My dad like always wrote songs and, you know, now he like has written three books and and like novels and made some movies. You know, uh, so you know he completely understood that. My mom is a visual artist, a painter. So like, yeah, honestly, they didn't bat an eye. You know, That's I mean, right, I, there's yeah. some maybe some some content that they certainly batted yeah. an eye about. Yeah. But the idea of me being an artist or pursuing, you know music as a lifestyle or whatever didn't really bother them at all and still they're fine with it and my dad is proud to to say that his kids are are semi-successful musicians you know i love it so so how was the kind of transition after after cloud dead into into doing expanding what wire was and 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 solo stuff because you were originally doing hip hop that was outside of the hip hop main hip hop realm, and now you're kind of drifting into indie or electronic or guitar based music that's maybe outside of the most pop version of that as well. So, how was that as a kind of a, a journey? Because it's not like you went from one thing to a completely pop version commercial a crossover. You went from one left field area to another left field area to in between two left field areas. Can't seem to make it easy for myself, <laughs> exactly, no matter what I right. do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, all I know is, you know, for the first, like, three uh, Y albums, we had to put a sticker on it that said, please file under rock. Yeah. You know, because everyone knew yeah. Anacon, Anacon, oh, hip-hop, Anacon. So they would just go in the hip-hop sections and then, like, 
it would get ignored. So it'd be like, oh, we got to have – please cross file under hip-hop and yeah. rock or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was – it always felt like an uphill battle to like, you know, expose people. But no, I would I – would, I, would, I felt like I want people to hear it that aren't necessarily hip-hop heads. Yeah. You know, because I feel like there are other people that would like it too. But it was always hard to crack over. You know, I, I was trying to cross over from hip-hop to – Rock, I guess, or yeah. indie rock, or whatever. Um, that was always a struggle. But eventually, we just kept doing it. We kept touring, kept putting out records, and we sort of got an audience of our own that didn't even necessarily know or had ever heard of what Anticon was. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Completely. So we just sort of became our own thing after a while. Yeah, I always remember us. I, I saw, I saw you guys on an early. I'm sure it was. In Shoreditch, somewhere I think it was at a venue called Spitz, which was like on on Spitalfields Market, and it was more of a, j- a jazz venue, and okay. it was exciting for me to kind of go, all right, so what's what's going on here? So, so did you find that touring changed in that way that you're you're going from what might be perceived as a traditional rap venue, small stage or whatever else, to these more jazz venues, more unusual? I I I can't say that that really. Ch- that changed the, t- the touring at all. I almost feel like, you know, it was always just the promoters and booking agents trying to find a place that would take us and that, fits, that yeah. was that fit that wasn't too expensive and then you know, pretty just standard thing and just standard rock clubs and bars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I can't say like we've done a couple like little special occasion tours where it's like you know grand piano fancy place kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. mostly we've always just toured in. Typical dirty rock clubs, which yeah. I don't love, but is what it is. I mean, speaking of that, then of the of 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 touring at any level that's below the Rolling Stones, you know, you're not in these tour vans, you're not in this. You've you've got to make it work. Um, a friend of mine, a, a Jimmy Havoc. This is going to sound like a strange uh, a leap. He's a professional wrestler. He's really good, but he's had to do that professional wrestler life with Chrome's. And it's something that you would never know about, but all the different things it adds to how he has to tour, to how he has to manage his dietary requirements, his everything else. It's a massive change. And you've 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 had to kind of deal with that t- touring Absolutely. your whole life, right? Absolutely. Uh you know, I didn't I didn't know I had Crohn's until two thousand nine. Right. But I had problems before that, and and uh, yeah, uh, even before that, I was like very, very, very strict vegan. Yeah. So like that in and of itself, and 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 my personality is like all or nothing. Yeah. So like I never cheated. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was like all right. This, this, this. So like, I need to put a caveat in here. I mean, uh, we've talked about the troubles of getting your CD filed in the same in the right place in a record store, which is already harking back to a a previous time of music because of record stores in general, but veganism now compared to veganism oh in the early totally 2000s, different. it's not the same thing. It's not, not, it's not comparable. So no, again, was, this struggle is far bigger than it may sound at this. I've got, <laughs> I got in so many fights with so many French chefs in, yeah. in, the, in the like back, festival backstages. <laughs> That's you know, the like, perfect example. It is not possible. Yeah. Like, they will just, not understand it or accept just it. Just some tofu, please, or whatever, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that that was always a, a struggle to try to find, you know. And, and honestly, now when I think back, I regret 
not like living it up and like going to Japan and eating like whatever food that they put in front of me, you know, rather than saying like, I'll just have the, the rice, you know, whatever. But yeah, it was, it was tough back then. But then of course I got sick and then had to really change it up. And, uh, now I just, I cook every three, four days, right? carry around, uh, Tupperware with, with food in it. And, you know, have a, a bag of dry goods that will la- will last, you know, whatever fruits and veggies and and rice cakes, you know what I mean? And just, yeah. just kind of bring my own food everywhere and eat out of that. It's a, a case of, of, of a, another thing that you have to be prepared about on a tour it's rather a than just the kind of it's a turn hassle. up and see what's about. <laughs> yeah, it, it okay. turns touring into a very, like... An endeavor that that you really have to prepare for and yeah. really have to like consider, yeah, yeah. So, so can we just, uh, 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 just for anyone who doesn't know, uh, can you explain Crohn's a little bit? So it is a dietary thing. There's certain things that you eat that you react badly to and are, are very dangerous for you, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it it is diet, but it's all it goes beyond that. Like mm. you can't. I mean, anyway, some people might be able to control it with diet, but I have pretty severe yeah. disease that I can't control with diet, but I can lessen the effects with diet. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's, you know, it can be, it can be really tough. It's basically becomes inflammation in your, anywhere in your digestive tract, I guess. Yeah. Mine is more in my small intestines and that then becomes ulcers Yeah, and, and just like basically just rotting and you know rotting flesh in your body yeah um that then you have to get cut out uh which i did in june wow got some intestines cut out but yeah it's it's tough and and it's, it's tough at home but it's real tough on the road yeah yeah, yeah. it makes a, a massive difference now you've you've been you've been lucky enough to tour the world like literally the world and i think that's that's one of the cool things about not necessarily fitting into one genre is that you can appeal to far more nations and, and and things like that just really have this wider appeal rather than you're a big hip-hop act and you just do america and the uk and canada yeah you get to to go about a lot so how do you find that do you take a lot from the cultures and areas i mean you're in the uk at a really interesting time politically there's a lot going on with brexit i mean it's hardly worth us mentioning Brexit here because it will have changed by tomorrow. It was right. all it was all going to be as we recalled this. It was all going to be happening in two days. Now it's going to be happening at the end of January, and there's going to be elections. All that. Do you immerse yourself in any of these things in these countries, or are you kind of just in tour mode? Let's get through it. I would say mostly I'm in tour mode. Let's get through it. Yeah, but you know, also you can't ignore what's going on around you, especially when it, and it sounds terrible for me to say, I'm just in tour mode getting through it. But like, that's like, that's the blinders that my life has to have in order to get through. You know, you're not really in that place. You're, you're on tour. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're there, but you're there under the auspices of, Getting to the next venue, performing, and then getting to the next venue, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a it's yeah, but 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 I will say that we really lucked out because we had set this tour up. 
before we knew when Brexit was going to happen. Yeah. And it turned out that it was going to happen the day that we were going to try to go from the UK to oh, wow. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, yeah, the 31st was, was our travel day. Literally inconceivable problems. Like you don't know how that could have gone. And that would have been fucked. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But you can only assume that there's going to be some crazy travel situations on yeah. that day. But lucky for us, it got postponed. Yeah. Hopefully we'll stay post. You know, who knows yeah, yeah, what'll yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, you talk to people so you know a little bit about what's going on, but by and large, we're at the hotel, we're at the venue, we're sound yeah. checking, we're playing, we're packing up, we're at the hotel. Yeah. Repeat. You have, know what I mean? Have you found any any difference in the reaction as an American touring over the the years? Because you've toured as an American under Bush, you've toured as an American under Obama. You're touring as an American under Trump. Yeah. There's going to be a difference in perceptions over those those years, right? How do you find that? And does it is it something that is tactile or you can kind of notice or is it just kind of, yeah, uh, more ethereal? I feel like during Bush, there was honestly more hatred of, of America mm. around the world because... He felt more integrated into yeah. America. Obama, when Obama got elected, we were here actually. Wow! Uh, and England seemed ecstatic yeah. when Obama got. I just remember that morning. Yeah. You know, we woke up and we were traveling actually from London to Brussels, I think it was, and uh, just the 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 guys at the border and like you know when you start talking to them and they hear your American accent, like oh Obama, you know. So there was a it's lot mad, of right? people. People liked him on the world stage. You know, yeah. they really did. I was touring in America when that was when the debates were going on, and we didn't particularly have t- televised d- debates over at that point. So to see someone as calm and eloquent as Obama up there, just destroying everyone, essentially, yeah. just being like, "My favorite character ever is Omar from The Wire," and just like, right. "This is the best guy in the world ever," and then he'll shoot some basketball or something like, "How, right, how right. is this guy not?" king of the world obviously there's varying views on his time as president and and some of the choices but but, sure. but yeah it was a mad sure but pe- people did like him on the world stage yeah. yeah he did some bad stuff for sure but but uh any world leader does bad you you're sort of required to do some bad yeah. things to make the you know break a few eggs to keep the whatever yeah i think it's the problem that we we've made these mythical roles as right. if president is an all-powerful thing, and there's not lo- loads of people who have to put pressure on or sign yeah. things off. Or yeah. it's it's not just one person in the chair going. He's not the pope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not a king. It's not a yeah. a, a medieval type thing. Yeah. I mean, like we have in England, it's it's not a medieval type structure like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But 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 as far as Trump goes, I get the feeling that no one's faulting. I don't think anyone faults anyone who travels yeah. for Trump getting elected. I don't think anyone who travels outside the United States voted for Trump. Uh, other that's than a, a great point, yeah. the like 12 like billionaires that are his <laughs> friends. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the world understands that the United States doesn't stand behind him, you know, yeah. and never did, but it, it was some weird fluke and, and sort of, 
it's not a fluke. Not a fluke. I should I should you know there's there's some hateful shit. Yeah. That is uh, at the at the uh, root of of that and and at the root of what makes America America. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be an interesting one after the next election because oh yeah. at, at, at this point you can kind of say it was not a fluke but a weird perfect storm or an yeah. imperfect storm yeah. that just made all these things happen that suddenly trumps the president of America it's like uh, again I'm convinced that, that 2016 wasn't real because because Prince died Trump became president Brexit happened all these things that are just unimaginable it's like no no yeah. that, that no that's nonsense that that can't be a thing but um but there's a whole another set of people that are saying that about 2008 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. Yeah. It's those... There's it's good those, people in this world and there's bad people. Yeah, the perfect According storm to us. Is, is subjective in <laughs> yes, its perfection. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you, I mean, you say you would that you, you're quite understandably in tour mode when you tour. You got kind of drawn in unavoidably to some political side of things with... Meteor Festival last year with the Israeli-Palestine conflict yeah. and being a Jewish touring musician. How was that to kind of have your art brought into kind of a political discussion and political decisions to be made and justified when you're an artist and you're touring doing music, you're not yeah. touring doing politics? Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I uh, d- don't initially think of myself... As a political artist, you know, I'm I'm as political as I need to be mm-hmm. to inform myself and make a vote, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I'm not like, I'm not really, I wouldn't call myself an activist. You know, I don't follow every little, like, you know, like part of the political world, like, like uh, people do sports teams and politics. Uh, not my thing. But... You know something as as serious and and like contemporary and and really happening. You know as 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 Israel Palestine and being invited to go over there and and deciding to do it despite mm. some people uh, saying, oh well, if you if you you know if you care about Palestine, you wouldn't go there. You know you have to inform yourself and you have to you have to have some you know you have to say something. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have of to course. say something. So I I did do that at the festival, and you know I don't I don't regret going. I I don't feel like us going showed any kind of support for the Israeli government. Yeah, I felt like if anything, the the big article in the biggest paper in Israel, biggest I should say like liberal paper I guess, yeah. was probably made more of a positive impact than. A negative impact for us to have gone over there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't regret it at all. I think it's, it's at times it's the broad s- s- strokes that we can make, and we can forget that you're going. As you said about how most touring American bands didn't vote for Trump and don't support Trump, right. it's a similar thing there. That the people that are coming to see you at that festival are probably the people who are the liberals and are against this kind of the actions uh, yeah. that's going on and against their government and. It's it's completely arguable that it's a positive thing to go and perform f- for them and support them and support the the ability to to, to 
to to be on that side of it and not just rather than we think of exactly. the Israeli government representing all of the Israeli people. It's like no, exactly. It's a varied thing, like anywhere else. Exactly, and I, I uh, on stage, I dedicated the set to uh, the the villages that were formerly in the location of the festival. You know, I had done all this research. My uncle is. I don't know how to describe him. He used to work for uh he worked in the Obama administration. He was the like representative to Afghanistan and Pakistan, you know, uh under the Secretary of State when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. So like he's very very knowledgeable mm. about that whole region and really the whole world. But I spoke to him. I said, "Is it okay if I go? You know, what do you think about this?" blah 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 blah. blah. And we talked about it. He put me in touch with some Palestinian professors uh, in Palestine, and I spoke to them, and I said, "What what villages used to be around here? What are the what what's the history of this area? Blah 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 blah." They explained all that to me. You know, I sort of learned the the names of the the villages and and sort of uh, yeah. And I, I, I dedicated the show to those people. Um, and their descendants, and who some of them were still around, and, yeah. and uh, the whole audience cheered. You yeah. know, so like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's not like we're we're over there support. You know, saying okay, our presence as American musicians here, you know, is to support your decision uh, to be a complete dick to Palestine. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, quite the opposite. So you know, and they, that feels that much of research and in depth kind of interaction with the with the issues feels far more impactful than just not going exactly you know exactly. not going it wouldn't have been a news story exactly they can't write a news story about everyone who's not gone to israel <laughs> that's 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 a, that's a lot of it. So, exactly so yeah. i said okay i said i want to go you know we've got it already set up we're friends with the the promoter of the festival we've gone out there several times we have an audience there they're good people they're they're not the the supporters of of by and large, I mean, obviously there, are, I'm sure there are some, but but by and large, not the supporters uh, of of the situ the the occupation. But if I'm going to go, I can't go in ignorant. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so yeah, I had yeah. to do some research and and uh, make sure that I was making the right decision. And I, I, you know, I decided that I was. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So I mean, with. Touched upon the changes in the music industry, and again, it was amusing to me that it took me a few minutes to realise that our discussion about where a CD is filed in a record shop, there's going to be certain people who don't connect to that. I, I worked in record shops, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've got a huge connection to all that. But at the latest our record, you released in ch- in chunks as kind of audio accompaniments for for or, or soundtracks. At what's been the the motivation behind the way you're approaching this record and the way it's kind of all come together, like release-wise. Yeah, I guess initially I felt sort of like I needed a break from <clears throat> the idea of just from doing it exactly how I had been doing it. Yeah. You know, I was like, all right, I need to change it up, shake it up. And uh, so I wanted to actually, rather than like holding on to all this material and being all secretive and being like, okay, world, here's my opus, you know. I wanted to just be like, all right, I finished a thing, here it is, check it out. If you like it, you like it, if you don't, you don't. Yeah. Here's another thing, check it out. 
you know, and so I, I set up a schedule for myself. I said, okay, I'm going to finish five minutes of music a month, mixed, mastered, done, and put it out. And so I started doing that, made my first five minutes, and talked to my manager, talked to the label, and they were like, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. No, 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 no. You've got to, yeah. we can do that, sort of, but we want to do it properly. Yeah. You know, like, so yeah. I had to kind of, you know, temper temper my idea a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I, I continued to work that way anyway, yeah. even though the music didn't come out yeah. right then. But it came out a year later as if it had been done right then. Yeah, it's a good but balance just, and a good compromise. Yeah, because I think yeah. The, the ludicrousness of the music industry got to the point, and I would have been involved in this, where you're getting pushed to announce an, an announcement that, like, on Monday we're right. going to be announcing something. It's like, what it's are ridiculous. we doing? Why don't we announce on Monday we're going to be announcing when we're announcing the right. next thing? It's like it becomes this so contrived because of that, that, that idea of that you need to get all this focus on one day so that we have the biggest impact and then it can climb to its biggest chart position or whatever. And the biggest thing for me was realising, all right, that's for chart-type music. Right. I'm not a chart-type artist, exactly. so it doesn't matter so much. I get yeah. it, and I get the the, the, the the pooling of the excitement and you wanting everyone in, in it at once, but equally with that approach, you're kind of toiling away in the dark for a year and then you finally release it and everyone's excited, but then a week later they've moved on to to something else exactly it's, it's the kind of the Netflix way of TV shows how previously you'd be watching one a week for two months whereas now it comes out in one weekend everyone's hugely excited but then they've binged it all in two days yep. and they've spent t- two years making this series and the hype's over so did you notice a difference in the kind of a drip releasing of, of the record to spread it out over a period of time or was it just not really i mean i honestly is the same kind of thing where it's like you know people paid attention to the first you know the first installment that came out yeah and the second one to some extent and then it was like (laughs) okay there's more music coming out by these guys it's whatever you know like I, i honestly you know i sort of understand all that stuff and how it works but it's completely on its head compared to what it was when i first started yeah and i'm not saying like i'm i'm some kind of like ancient luddite or something i i use the internet yeah but it's so mysterious how something goes or doesn't go yeah and and why i wanted to like work in the way that i was saying and just kind of put it out as i put it out is because i i just i'm just i'm sick of it like i don't like uh, it's like i don't know let's just let's just be regular people and just make stuff and put it like just all this like all this marketing and just like hyper capitalist shit like yeah. it's for the birds man and we we are at the end of this like it, it's it can't go too much further with the, with the the pooling of wealth and stuff like it that can't. and i think it sets you up for disappointment as well a big thing that i was kind of adamant about uh, when i set up my record label was that i want the end goal to be the release date after that cool it's a bonus but i want the achievement to be yeah we've got the artwork how we want it we've got this how we want it and there it is it's out yeah. there not worrying about how are week one sales and how's right. week two and how are we doing on this and that it's like no we've all of that is a bonus the, the goal is that when we release it everyone involved is going we fucking did it man yeah it's there it's, it's happening yeah. and i think if you can find a way to artistically 
or creatively make that for yourself, then you've got that achievement rather than your constant, even if it's your biggest record of all time, it's not as big as this guy who you toured with once. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there's a comparison and therefore they're, they're doing better and you've failed. Do you know what I mean? There becomes all these stupid things. So yeah, you need to make that kind of, the releasing it is, the creating and releasing is is the end goal, not the Absolutely, position. absolutely. And I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the social media stuff, like, I, I'm, I'm not very good at that stuff. Like, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm on those things, but like, I don't, I'm not one of these like everyday poster, per, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to maximize my impact on social media. Like, I don't want to, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so, I, I don't know, man, that, that shit, it, it's, it's outside of, of what I signed up to do. Like, I, I signed up to make art. And that's why I like doing. I don't yeah. really like doing that other shit. I love it. How have you found doing a podcast? So you've got a podcast, The Wandering Wolf, and you've yeah. been doing that a while now. Yeah, how have you found that S- sitting down and having conversations with people in in a format that you might not not normally? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Being able to meet somebody like you that yeah. I've I've known about for so many years and just that we've never come across. You yeah. know, as yeah. far as I know, we've never come across. I each don't other. think so. I, I was trying to. I was, I, was, I was texting some people last night because I'm sure I did some spoken word b- before a Y show in London once. Okay, but I oh, maybe have, we did. But I might have just gone to a Y show and I did spoken word at that same venue a different time. Gotcha. It's a blurred okay. memory. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was kind of texting saying, "Did this happen? I don't know, but." I think it might have, but yeah, it's we, possible. We certainly it's possible, that, but that, yeah, that known interaction. So yeah, I mean, just to be able to sit down and talk for an hour or two, yeah. like it's awesome, man. And because like there, you know, everybody, I don't know, we we all are are are, are in a similar world and doing you know doing similar stuff, and yeah. just to you know to be able to connect is great. And I, I you know, and, and or 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 people that are in a totally different world, I like yeah. to just be able to pick their brain. You know, what yeah. what are you about? You know, like. <laughs> Have you found you've learnt stuff about people you know that you wouldn't? Because it's one of the biggest things I've found on doing the podcast is I realised that, that, that when you catch up with friends, you generally say, oh, you talk about how the last week has been or how the last month. You don't talk about their upbringing or their tough times in life. Whereas in a podcast format, it becomes more viable and manageable and you get to learn these things about these people who you've maybe toured with or at least spent a load of time with that you've never had anything below that initial surface of conversation absolutely i you know i i i've done podcasts with my mom and my dad and my I've, sister I've done, and my brother I've done and them my, with my mom and dad as well right i mean they're some of my favorite ones there's something about that where you you know because it's it's the intentionality of sitting down and saying we're not going to do anything we're not eating yeah you know we're not we're not uh yeah. whatever bullshitting we're, we're just going to get straight to it and and talk about life and talk about you know where you've been and yeah yeah i i it's it's really great i i I do learn something from every single podcast i do and you know have have some kind of takeaway that i can integrate into my life yeah it it is its own art form and medium just mentioning speaking to parents for years as a musician i tried to write a song about when my parents separated and i could never find it could never get it right and then I spoke to them both separately on the podcast about it, and we'd never really done it. And I found that that was the medium I was looking for. It wasn't meant to be a song. Right. It was meant to be, and me and my dad cried because that was the first, like, he, it's the first time I'd seen him cry as a kid. Like, my dad, as this, the, the father, it was the first time I'd seen him cry because he had to come and say, I'm leaving. And yeah, it was amazing. It's that, it was that beautiful moment of realization of, right, oh, these aren't just 
conversations. It's its yeah. own art form. It's got its own... It's a medium that, that is as valid as writing a song or, or, or performing a song Absolutely. or whatever else. And it's honestly, nice. there's something I prefer about it. You know, yeah. there's something more immediate. There's something more... I don't know. Sometimes I feel like there's there's something more relevant about it. Yeah, you know, there's a, tr- a truth in it. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of the things that comes up a lot in my podcast, and it seems to be any podcast that has artists on, um, is mental health. And you you recorded a track for for, 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 for World Mental Health Day. Was it last year or was it? No, no, it was year? just just uh, a few couple weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. A cover of of, of Silver Jews. What drew you to that, and what was the 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 impetus on on bringing focus to mental health? Because again, I think in touring life and in musician life, it can be easy to get into a bubble of here's the art and yeah. not looking anywhere past that. So it's it can be a exposing thing to go look. Let's talk about mental health and talk about people struggling and how hard it can be. Well, I didn't I didn't make the track thinking about oh we'll put this out on Mental Health Day and yeah. blah blah blah. It wasn't like that. It it, it was. You know, uh, so the track is is We Are Real by the band Silver Jews. Yes. Uh, and the songwriter from Silver Jews, David Berman. Yes. Um, he he died uh, about, I don't want to say two months ago. And uh, it had a big impact on me, you know what I mean? And, and uh, I don't know what he was going through. Um, in his in his life exactly, but I know he had struggled with addiction and probably other mental health issues, uh, and he committed suicide. And like, it impacted me a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. I always looked up to him. You know, I, I was greatly influenced by him. You know, in my lyrics and stuff, and it was it was a big a big blow, and I I just felt off for like. A long time, you know, uh, because of that. Even though I, I didn't, he wasn't like a close friend or anything. Mm-hmm. I knew him, but not really, you know. Like yeah, I, we, yeah. I knew him to speak to him, but but I didn't know him intimately whatsoever. And I don't know. I, I just I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna like. I had been like listening to all his work and stuff, and I was like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna just try to play one of his songs and started singing it and. It just sort of felt right in my in my mouth, you know. Yeah. Uh, and recorded it, and and then uh, gave it to my manager. I said, I don't I don't know what you want to do with this, but you know, <laughs> Here's something. Let's give if there's any money, let's just give it to charity. You yeah. Know? So uh, that's that's what we did. I love that. How how did you find getting a song from an artist that you're very aware of and influenced by into your own? Or getting your own voice into it. It's it's tough with songs you're familiar with. You know the way that they do it. And you don't want to just imitate that. You need to do it your way. But that can be the hardest thing. How that's, was that? That's, a- that's a great question. That's a great question. I, I, I And I've, it's, always, it's always the question for me when I do a cover. And I have done, you know, a, a handful of cover songs um, throughout my life and career. And for me, the trick is to pick a song by listening to the songs but not really thinking about how it sounds right but more thinking about the lyrics and how how yeah, you relate yeah. to the lyrics so like you know just yeah just thinking like okay how does this relate to my life like is it is it something that i can say out of my own mouth and feels natural yeah you know and then as far as how it sounds 
I just try to n- definitely not listen to the song again once I start working on it. Yeah. And just sort of let it evolve naturally through the process of playing it a bunch of times and then go production wise, go where it wants to go at that yeah. point. Yeah. Totally yeah, yeah. disregarding the original artist's recording. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So kind of learn to forget. Is, yeah, is, learn is, learn to forget how they said it. Yeah, and say their words from my yeah. from where I stand. Yeah, I love that that finding the connection lyrically, so that you can find your own emotional attachment. Exactly. So I'm doing I'm doing an acting class at the moment because I moved into acting a few years ago, and the thing I'm loving about it is it's all about finding these these memories and these emotional. A connection. So even though you're playing a character who's not you, who's very different from you, it's finding those things of right. I can con- I can connect that. So when you you look in my eyes, you can see that I'm talking about this person, and I know who they are. I know what's there, and I think that comes across in a cover. You can tell if you're trying to imitate the emotion in the original, or if you're putting your own true emotions into it and finding that that link. I love that. I love it. How have you you've been at, how 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 have you done stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I stopped doing music to, to go into acting like three four years ago, and I've done a BBC show, an FX show. I've got a film coming out soon. Um, Amazing, and I'm, I'm, I love it, and it's exciting. But it's also exciting that being new to it and being fresh. And it was that weird thing because the first load of roles I got, I got because I'm not a drama school kid. Meaning uh, what? Because you didn't, I didn't you weren't have, you weren't like polished. Or I didn't feel have like the you, traits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, one of the first things I did was a show called The Bastard Execution on FX in America. Um, and it's set in England. It's all medieval. And they said 90% of the editions were very much, and now, come to my... And I, I just went in and did it as me, but with their yeah. words. Yeah. And they were like, that's it. That's what we want. But equally, I'm a perfectionist and a nerd on these things. I love t- TV and films. So it's like, I don't want to just turn up and play me every day. Yeah. I want to learn the right things... Not the wrong things and not the cheesy, hammy things. Learn the right things that I can improve. But the reason it came to mind was so much of it is learning to forget. I'm learning all this stuff and then going, right, part of that I want to forget because I don't want to be inside my whole head the whole time. It's the same with performing. There'll be certain things that you do on one night live and you're like, oh, that was great. And then you'll start to to force it a few nights in a row and then it won't be great anymore because you're too inside your own head that at this moment you do that slight turn or whatever else it is. It's like... It's not great anymore. So right. it's finding what caused you to do that. So it's l- learning the mechanics of it and then trying to forget it. So it's just there and it's a natural thing. And that's what kind of, um, yeah, obsessing over at the moment. I love that. Fucking- you know, I, I've I've been thinking about doing a uh, doing an acting class. Yeah. My girlfriend went to school uh, for acting for a little while. She, she switched over to something else, but... I think I think it would be fun. It's fascinating, man. If I you, love if, what you're if, saying if, about if, it. If you find the, the the right one, but then equally, I think all learning is about testing your own beliefs and convictions, anyway. So even if it's a bad acting class, I think you can go there and go, no, I think that's bullshit. Yeah. But at least you've questioned it. At least you've tried it. And gone, yeah, I see what you're saying with that, but I don't need to pretend to be a tree for half an hour. Right. I'm I'm not a tree. <laughs> it's it's all right. It's, it it doesn't have to happen. But yeah, I think all of those things are interesting, and the more you can. Find things in your life that are going to push you and are going to scare you as well. Again, that's the thing. I did a tweet the other day 
because I was literally going to bed and there's a few different scripts I've written that are starting to get some traction and I've been fighting so hard to get them made I've not thought about the idea of actually making them and how fucking scary that is and I had this moment of oh, what if they actually option it and I've got to now make that that's terrifying. I don't know if I can do that. This is but what happened. I mean, this is Trump running for office. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that. The excitement of then they go, oh, oh, right, I've got to do I this want. now. Yeah, this is, yeah. It's the same with Brexit as well. It's why yeah. we keep pushing for new elections, I think, is because everyone who gets in there goes, oh, fuck, I can't do this. Right. Let's have an election. I'll get, I'll get voted out and it'll be someone else's job. <laughs> I think we're going to have endless elections until someone goes, shall we just call it a day? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but but you so what happens if you do but but I mean it's exciting yeah. because it, if one gets option then it's going to be I mean you'll you'll find your way you just yeah. gotta, you'll, it'll be just like all right here we go now it's like everything I think with with music I'd quit my jo- I'd recorded a record and quit my job to tour the country with it and it was on the first day I had to do I was doing it all on street corners the first one that's the first time it crossed my mind I was like I've never performed live before. I've made this record. I've quit my job. I've made this my only option. And you're and doing it alone I in your room. To, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. I've been rapping in my room. That's where I connected on that first bit. I was like, yeah. I've been getting it all tight. Oh, hang on. I've just thrown everything away for this that I don't know if I can do yet. Right. But again, I think that whole, if you've got something to fall back on, you're more likely to fall back, is valid. So it's that, yeah, it's that cut, but that doesn't make it any less scary. So okay. when you keep throwing yourselves into these situations again. So oh, shit. with that said, on the on your next uh, development, yeah, how how did you know? Okay, it's time to stop making music and just go full fledged into acting. Like, well, I- for me, it's weird. I was talking to a Brent, your your tour manager, about this just now because it was that I'd, I'd realised that with music, I quit working in a record store. And I said, I'll give myself a year to try and make music work. Because if I'm not doing it full time, I don't think I'm trying properly. It'll always be this side thing. Or I'll always tell myself it's my main thing and my job's the side thing. But the job's the thing I'm getting up at seven o'clock every morning for. And so on and so forth. So I quit and did that and it worked. Almost a year to the day, me and Dan Lassac released a song called Thou Shall Always Kill. And it got in the charts over here. And it was like, right, I'm doing this now. This is scary, but I'm doing this now. And, sh- and shortly after that, we had a song called The Beat That My Heart Skipped, which Gel remixed as the, the the beat that my gel flipped. Right. So again, so, so we had, this was all happening. And it was a similar thing there. I'd kind of, I'd been wanting to do acting for a long while and I'd started the podcast weirdly and a few of the people I'd had on were friends who were actors and stuff like that. And they were all saying, so when are you just going to start doing acting? Because anytime we meet up, I'd be nerding over th- th- this film or their performance in this role and all this and it was exactly that. I kind of, as I was saying to Brent, we'd got to this point where I'd enjoyed every gig I'd ever done, but I could sense round the corner it was going to start to become a chore. Mm-hmm. It was going to start to become, oh, fuck, we've got another tour. All right, let's go and do it. So I was like, right, let's stop now and try f- again, try for a year. And then in that first year, I got cast in a Guy Ritchie film. Ended up being edited out of it, so I never made the final cut. Yeah. But I still spent two months on set learning getting a taste for it and yeah I've it's been sad and lovely to realise I've not missed touring at all yeah like when POS has come over I've got to go and watch his show and at no point and we've done tracks together so it could easily be I'll jump up and I release his record on my label over here so again the crowd would be excited if I jumped up and did a track but I had no desire as same with Sage and B. Dolan and all this kind of thing you won't even get up and do a track no it doesn't there's no do they, they've asked you and you'll be like nah I don't yeah know. yeah but part of that is I think there's a control freak element in me so 
at the moment, my last album was my biggest commercially. The tour was the biggest. And our last gig was a festival called Festival. Um, we had like 10,000 people there. They all knew it was our last gig. We were introduced by Rob DeBank, who runs the label, yeah. who signed us. How can I knock that off off the the the, the pedestal of my no, last that's, gig? That's 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 perfect. Like, right, that's, that's, perfect. That's, that's I've gone out on an absolute high there, and you don't get to do that again. It's that awareness that you don't get to do that shit often. Yeah. So it's kind of going right. Why would I do another gig and have that as my as? Because again, your last gig is always going to come at some point. Yeah, it's an inevitability. Yeah. So at the moment, I've been able to choose that, and yeah, I'm reluctant to. To knock that off, but yeah, Dolan and Sage and all that, like in particular, particularly Dolan, are always like, just do another record, just do yeah. this, or come up and do this, or just do it. And like, so you haven't, and you haven't recorded either. No, no, I kind of again, I, it sounds like it's some great level of restraint, but equally, I did a lot with a guy called the, the, the Daniel Sack, who I love, but I feel we did three records. I like that yeah. where it is, a, a kind of similar to, to a Cloud Dead thing where. What happened, happened mm-hmm. to go back to it might feel weird, or at this point anyway. So I've not got p- p- producers knocking my door down or anything, so it's quite easy to go. I still s- scribble away some raps every now and then and yeah. stuff like that. But, yeah, it's been easy to just go, all right, that's that's that. But I'm working on scripts and all sorts of other things like that, so that's where that's where the excitement is. And yeah. as we said... If you're, you're still gonna, writing, you yeah, know. If yeah. you're trying to live your life as an artist rather than as a commodity, yeah. then you have to go where the excitement is. So... Although all of these scripts have hit walls or haven't happened or it's a slow or whatever, that's the thing I'm going to be thinking of. Oh, I can make that happen in the story. Yeah, you're following so your instincts as an artist yeah. rather than, yeah, I mean, rather it, than I know that there's. I know I can make a thousand bucks for playing at this show. Exactly. I just keep doing that. Like, blah, blah. There's money on the table, yeah. but I'd rather walk away with my winnings than go and get involved with, with what's left. But, yeah. So, so, what's that? I'll, I'll kind of wrap things up now as we're. we're we're coming to the end of our time. What's ahead for you? You've you've just had your record out, out this year, and I said you've toured. You've had the ten year anniversary earlier in the year. What's ahead? Is there more new music? Is there more anniversaries coming up? What's the plan? You know, you've caught me at a weird time where I, I have to say I don't exactly know. Like things, you know, I have I have like two two things uh on the pipeline you know i have i have an ep that i have to finish before uh february 1st sort of a collaboration thing yeah uh i'm not i don't think i'm allowed to talk about it right now so i have that and then i'm working on someone else's album i'm producing someone else's album just after that and then after about may or june 2020 I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know. Is that exciting or scary? Both. Or both. It's yeah. both. It's both. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, part of me feels like because I like you, I don't want to be a commodity. I don't yeah. want to be have have to be on on Instagram like please come to this show or or you know, listen, look at me, look at me, listen to this new thing. Yeah. Look look look, listen, listen. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's unavoidable to some extent, but It's tough because it can make you start to resent people as well because you're 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 having to beg people to come to shows and that feels sh- sh- shit on or your Or make part. people resent me for yeah. being an asshole yeah. on social media. Or Either not way. an asshole, but just yeah. like yeah, yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I am excited to see what what the new chapter is for me, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, I, I, feel, I feel far from done as an artist, yeah. uh, but I feel 
like the page is turning somehow. Yeah. You know. I think it's exciting to pause at times or important to pause at times because again as soon as you're in the loop you are in that album tour album tour it's and it so just hard becomes to a loop that. that you've got booking agents or or people who put or, or promoters say are you are you going to be over again this yeah. year and you just it becomes a loop and Yeah. that can still be a wonderfully artistic place and and you guys are always people who I feel have kept that excitement and, and and the artistic notion there but again at some point you're going to question is this is this what my because life it's should what be? i'm trying to do or because right. that's what i'm i know that's the next step that's what i have to yep. do yep exactly at some point you're making your your dinners every three days exactly that's what's and, happening that and, what can and, happen in your in music coming you're like here we go i'm preparing for the next one then i'm preparing for that at this point exactly at some point you have to question and say okay is this what I'm on earth to do? Like, you know, I have one life. How should I live it? Yeah. What's important for me to do or say? Yeah, and 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 I don't know that it's that. You know, like, I think that I feel very proud of of that chapter. You know, like, mm. I, I've, I, I feel like I've made good work and I've played some good shows. And unfortunately, I don't have a 10,000 capacity show to end my career on. <laughs> yeah. But, um... You know, we can let let it fizzle in Copenhagen with a sold out two hundred two hundred people, maybe. Again, you know? it's, it's but again on 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 all these things. It's about it's it's weird choices, isn't it? Because that was a thing that we announced it was our last show, so yeah. we made a big deal. There's another thing I won't mention now that I'm thinking of bringing to an end, but I don't want to announce it. I don't want to yeah. make a big deal. I want it to just be over. I don't want to yeah. have part of it is I don't want to put some weird pressure on this. Mm-hmm. This is the last time time we're doing this. It's like. Yeah. There we go. It's it's I've been proud of it every time we've done it. Yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to make it seem as if this last one is special because it's the last one. The last 10 were special. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All of them are special. So it's that weird it's a weird balance on these things, I guess. Absolutely. And I, and I I also feel, you know, I don't feel maybe as uh cut and dry as you do about it. Like I yeah. feel like, you know, like if it makes sense to go do a a show, I'll do it. And and if like you know, maybe we'll set up some some cool special occasion stuff where yeah. it is more I mean, intimate vibes or whatever, and yeah. do something a little different here and there. Um, cool. You know, like I don't think I'm I'm done writing songs. Uh, I just think that you know I'm just sort of figuring out how 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 I change it up to make it still feel like okay, this feels fresh and new, and I'm saying yeah. what I want to say and doing what I feel is natural. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and, and have this conversation. Absolutely, man. I, I am very grateful that, that you asked, and, and uh, it's been a delight. Thank you, you very much, sir. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. We could have gone for hours. I mean, we went for over an hour. We were creeping towards the two-hour mark, but we had to wrap things up. I hope you enjoyed that. As said, um, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can get all your Christmas goodness. Um, I'll see you next week with disgraceful drunk car shame. Cheers, guys. Ta-ta!